listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting, a series that draws on the experience of experts to unearth the principles of personal and team leadership. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us. Welcome to Inside Healthy Teams from Apricot Consulting, revealing conversations with the execs designed to provide leaders practical insights and behaviours to build organisations that lead to commercial and social outcomes. I'm your host, James Natsis, CEO of Apricot Consulting. I'm joined here today with David Gazzarotto. David is one of Australia's leading authorities on human resources, talent and technology. For over 25 years, he's worked at the intersection of people management and technology as an influencer, thought leader, consultant and change leader. David has deep expertise in the Australian and global HR technology space and he's sought out for advice and coaching by enterprises and solution providers to help them assess, align, act on their strategies in this constantly evolving digital world of work. David is an accomplished keynote speaker, podcast host, and facilitator on topics such as digital HR, worker experience, and the future of work. An all-round good guy who practices what he preaches. Thanks for joining us, David. Thanks for having me, James. What an amazing, wonderful introduction. I'm, um, I'm humbled by uh, by that. So thank you, and great to be here. And um, I've loved the work that you guys at Apricot do, and and certainly the podcast Inside Healthy Teams is is high on the shuffle list for for me when I'm out in the dog walks. So uh, a privilege to have the opportunity to join you on it today. Well, it's great for you to join us, particularly as we think about the disruption that seems to be accelerated in the area of digital and the impact on people and uh, being the expert that you are in this space. Really keen to hear insights, uh, especially from what our listeners have been asking about. And, you know, this constant question around technology, digital disruption, people, and how we all bring that together. So I guess the opening question for you is how you see COVID uh, accelerating the future of work or work practices as we see them? Yeah, no, look, uh, I think a very salient question. Obviously, um, uh, I know, James, we, uh, I think we had the feeling we were out at the other side of the pandemic a few months back and here we are again. Um, uh, but certainly we've learnt a lot, I think, in the, what, 18 months now of, of being in the midst of the global pandemic, um, certainly about what we used to call the future of work prior to the pandemic um, we at LeapGen uh, have coined the term now of work because uh, what COVID and the pandemic did was thrust um, all of us into uh, the future, what was deemed the future of work. Um, so, you know, we were, we were pushed out of offices into working from home. If we were desk bound, you know, we were um, really forced onto technology if we weren't already using it in the day-to-day aspects of our work. Um, and I, so I think that's, you know, in terms of accelerating the future of work, absolutely COVID has been the, the, the biggest accelerator of digital uh, that there has been. Um, and I think there's a couple of couple of ways it has done. So um, number one for me is it's uh, what I would term democratised digital. So if we think about digital not just being a term that means technology, which a lot of people do see it as synonymous, Digital is actually the, the connection of technology or the intersection of people and technology. And so, you know, we need to be conscious that, that that's now the world we're living in. We're essentially in the digital age. 
and we've been creeping towards it for a couple of decades. Um, in the world of work, we've been chasing our tails a lot, um, trying to, to push digital transformation programs. James, you and I have, have, have worked on a couple ourselves and have been uh, involved in a lot of you know digital transformation work over the years, but um, wouldn't it have been great if we had a pandemic 10 years ago to push that along a bit, you know? But what it's done is it's, it's made um, using technology in all aspects of our lives just more normal than ever. And in fact, it's been critical to enable um, certainly uh, both our personal and our, our professional lives to continue. Digital has enabled economies to not just survive, but in fact, in a lot of ways, thrive. I mean, the stock market's at the highest it's ever been in the US and here in Australia. And, you know, we're seeing incredible stories of, of how businesses are thriving um, as a result of being thrust to a more digital mode. So the, the democratisation, meaning everyone has been able to have access to it. And I mean everyone more than just the, you know, it was, it was the domain of knowledge workers and, you know, people in, in, in high-tech functions to use technology in the way that we're now doing it naturally. Um, and part of that was because we all have smartphones and these are powerful computers that are in our hands and we're really we're realising the utility of them more and more in everyday aspects of what we do, you know, whether that's scanning QR codes to get entry into places. We're going to have vaccine passports digitally on them now and we're not batting an eyelid at it because... It's become natural. People, whether they are in high-tech, highly skilled um, occupations or whether they're in what were perceived to be, you know, less skilled or deskless work environments that don't typically use technology, we're using them and we're forced to use them in all aspects and that to me is a democratisation of digital. The other thing I'll, I'll say about what COVID's done is it's provided proof. So for a period of time, and I'm... I, I feel like we're getting back now to business cases being required to invest in, in in digital and in certain technologies. But for probably the past twelve months, business cases had thrown out the, were thrown out the window through necessity. It was like, well, we've just pushed our workforce back to home. Um, we don't have a way for them to collaborate. We've got this thing called Teams. Um, okay, let's just let's just throw that at them, give them access, and and, and let's see how it goes. And um, for uh, in most organisations, that's really shown the the value and provided proof of investments in digital to support the you know people in the flow of what they do to create. Um, I think one of the things it's really done is create a distinction between asynchronous and synchronous work, which has been really important as well, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get onto in uh, in the conversation. But yeah, those two two key things: the acceleration of of the future of work driven by this democratization of digital and well you know we've, i think we've crossed the chasm in that both personally and professionally um, and it's it's given us the proof in what otherwise would have been very hard business cases to get up prior to the pandemic yeah there's a lot to unpack there and i, I suppose if we sort of take that down a level to our hr departments david mm -hmm. and thinking uh, from your experience, you know, there's a lot been written from uh, the, the likes of Burson, Ulrich and so forth around how they structure and how they become enablers for some of this. What are you seeing as some of the, the opportunities uh, looking at, at the lens of HR and what they need to be thinking about, focusing on uh, and so on? Yeah, look, uh, I think the pandemic has been, this is the biggest moment for HR ever 
it's an exist to to a degree um, existential moment, um, but it is it's thrust. This has been a very human crisis, and therefore in organisations, it has thrust the role of HR and, and people leaders and the, the people operations functions to the fore. Um, and they've had to adapt. You know, uh, HR traditionally, unfortunately, has been a function that has kind of protected the organisation from its people. You know, it's been there to to try and stop the very small percentage of people who do bad stuff <laughs> from, you know, from doing that and trying to manage the compliance and the risk and all of that. I think HR um, has needed to and has been endeavouring to for some time now flip 180 degrees to be genuinely a people enablement function. So HR um, uh, functions that are seeing that opportunity or have responded to the you know the crisis in there that's that's come out of the pandemic. Um, those that are leading with a human centred approach and putting people first and really trying to understand their people more holistically. We at LeapGen talk about the whole person approach that we really need to put the lens of um, not just the person in the context of their job, their role, the skills and the work environment, but also what else they bring to the table as a whole person, the emotional, the spiritual, the social and the intellectual. And organisations that get that are the ones now that are adapting their ways of work that are seeing the power and the strength um, of, of bringing the best version or allowing people to bring the best version of themselves um, to every aspect of that. That's That's been a really cathartic moment for, for HR and it's really um, it's forcing a lot of change in mindset too. And I think, you know, we've got a, uh, we've got a long journey to go with this, but I think this is, this is a, a, a radical, you know, revolution of sorts. Um, where HR is finally being able to show the value that we know it could bring as a strategic partner in the, in the business, and it's it's the response to this change in the way to work, the rapid digitization of what we do, and being able to support people and meet them where they are. Uh, that is changing fast. There's a lot of adaptation to go. Um, I know you mentioned Dave Ulrich. You know, he's the original, um, I guess, the, the doyen of the modern HR function and the operating model for HR. Uh, I know he's doing a lot of work at the moment to try and look at how to adapt you know, the, the, the classic tripod model um, <laughs> that, he, the, that he espoused. But the, the, the key thing in that is, you know, it's a combination of being able to enable and empower as well as deliver great experience. You know, we used to talk about HR service delivery. Essentially, HR service delivery is about supporting the experience, the employee experience. And so, again, being able to thrust that higher up the totem pole of priorities has been a really important thing. Seeing the shape of HR functions change accordingly at the moment. Heaps in that, David. I guess something you raised earlier is when you spoke about digital being almost the intersection between tech and the people. Mm. Uh, clearly, you get asked a lot from a leap gen and through your experience around, you know, where do we go in terms of the technology conversations with yeah. our people? What are some of the 
the trends that you're seeing there, how is digital enhancing those outcomes and, and where do you see the opportunities moving forward for organisations as they ask those questions? Because certainly anecdotally, it feels like a lot of companies have ripped and replaced technology. They've invested more in tech than they have. Uh, COVID has accelerated some of that. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, again, there's a, there's, we, could, we could do a whole series on this, James, I think, but... Um, uh, fundamentally, um, what we're seeing is um, technology supporting the workforce, particularly from an HR and a workforce management perspective, was adopted to drive automation, to take away manual processes, and fundamentally, you know, realistically, to support HR people to help them do their jobs better, um, with the view that that would provide better support to people in the organisations. I think that was a, a genuinely, um, that was a, that was an important and, a, and a, um, the right frame uh, frame of reference. But the world's evolved quickly. So when we, when we, we think digital um, and the experiences that we have and we want to have in aspects of our life, we, we've seen digital and the advances in technology um, drive much better experiences in our consumer lives. So if we sort of use the parallel of consumer experience and we look at how, you know, going onto Amazon and being able to, um, you know, get access to information about products we might be interested in to transact quickly, smoothly and effectively in the way we want to, you know, that's a very personalised experience that's created at scale through technology. That's what we really need to be doing with from an employee standpoint, from a worker standpoint, is to use technology rather than just to support the transactions. We need it to support experience, and experience is actually a combination of transaction and interaction. So it's, you know, the transaction is about the process and the data and being able to, you know, um, uh, move information around to support what we're doing. The interaction is how we feel and how connected we are to it, to that. And, you know, we need both to create an experience and technology is now enabling us to do that better and to provide better enablement for it. But the technology itself doesn't deliver it. We have to look at the combination. Digital success and Jason Averbrook, who's the founder of LeapGen, uh, framed up a digital equation for success uh, a couple of years before the pandemic and it's it's been made so pertinent as we've assessed, you know, what success looks like in a digital uh, context, that digital equation of success is made up of mindset, people, process, and technology, right? So, and frankly, the lowest proportion of effort should be put into the technology piece. And that's probably the big shift that I'm seeing and where we're seeing um, success in a really leveraging and getting value from our technology deployments, it's when it's being done from a, through the lens of the people that are going to be most impacted by it. So the days of going out and selecting the world's, uh, you know, the world's best HR system, whatever that might be perceived to be at any point in time, um, and seeing that as the way to transform and just dumping the technology in and hoping that business can be melded around it, those days are past us. You know, we now need to be focusing on really great design. You know, we look at experience design and, and using, I know, you know you're a big proponent for design thinking yourself and um, being able to, to do that design with intent. Um, 
if we if we take a human-centered design approach, um, we're going to be looking at um, making better decisions about the technology we use and how it's infused and you know, into what the needs are of that that audience. Um, and those, it's a hard shift to make. It's still, in my view, it's still still a lot easier. And you know, the old adage of no one got fired for buying IBM back in the you know, I, you know the big IT days. It's like um, there, no CHRO is going to get fired for putting Workday or SAP or Oracle in as your HRIS. Um, so it's kind of easy to go in the path of making that sort of decision as an off-the-shelf one. It's far harder to keep an open mind and go through a process of thinking about what's going to best support um, your people in you know, and meet them where they are at to help enable them better. The technology should unveil itself going through that process. It should be led to the tech rather than the tech leading it. Fantastic insights there. And you mentioned things like mindset, the people, process, technology, and almost the harmony of those coming together. So lots of that experience, design thinking. Where would they start? Because typically uh, you would be asked uh, at LeapGen to go and inform some decisions around technology and there's all these other pieces that are critically important but perhaps less tangible in some respects. Mm. Uh, where would they start on this journey? Uh, where do you recommend? And I understand that there's a nuance around mm. depends on the life cycle of how they understand some of those things within their own business, but where would they typically start? What's your yeah. recommendation? Uh, I think you, got, you, you have to start with that mindset piece and the mindset piece is about vision and a shared vision and being able to rally around that. And I think that gets overlooked a lot because we, we default um, we default to strategy and the execution of that strategy. And quite often that is, you know, the strategy is deploy a new HRAS, deploy a best of breed talent marketplace solution. Um, and we haven't actually um, done the work to think, well, why? why are we doing that? And what is the overarching what's the outcome we're looking to do and to be able to paint that um, vision for for what it may look like and to do that through the lens of experience. So we should be painting that vision through what is the experience that we're looking to create and why is that, how is that aligned to what we do as a business? You know, are we doing, are we trying to create a better experience for our workforce because that will translate into better customer service and drive revenue that way? Um, so it's being able to, to just align and rally around a common vision and then putting some guiding principles. We do work with clients on this and it's revelationary and they come out of it with a checklist based on a set of guiding principles that then helps them, helps to inform design work. So as they start to look at the people, so that's the next thing you should be doing is starting from who is it that we're trying to support, affect, influence, enable. So you go, you know, in design thinking terms, you go into persona development and you look at the voice of the, the customer and have listening sessions to really understand and frame up what those audiences look like first. And then instead of defaulting to process, which we've often done as well, we think through the lens of journeys. So we take a walk in their shoes. We understand the moments that matter for those different audiences and we construct those through journeys in a way that can be you know, enable those to be personalised at scale and that's what leads us to the technology. The technology then is the enabler to make that connection between the vision that we have, 
the people that we want to impact that will drive and, and lead and you know be enabled by what we do. Um, understand and empathize, take a walk through their shoes and design the combination of technology, operating models, ways of work, change, um, activities, all of those things that will lead to success in transformation are being done from that mindset. Yeah, it, it seems so sensible to go down that path, David, given that the inclination for many is just to go and procure the tech and try to work out the rest of it around it, whereas what yep. you're saying is just work out what you want from the start. And that may then mean a scaling down of the tech if we've got to work on those other bits and pieces around the experience and the journey that you mentioned and so on. So, yep. yeah, that it's seems also, so sensible. The other thing I would say is probably even more critical is stop thinking projects. These are not, not one-off technology projects. Um, so, yeah, we try to reframe language on this a lot. It, it should be about a program and you should be developing, uh, you know, uh, have a mindset that it's perpetual beta. We're never actually getting to 100% of what we're going to deliver. We're always in a more agile um, context looking to continuously improve in a more programmed way. So we have potentially, you know, big releases of, of, of technology that will help in parts, and they may look like big, ugly implementation projects, um, but they should be a dot on the longer journey of, or the longer program that we've got to transform and, and ongoing continuous improvement. So that would be one thing that I'd encourage your audiences to be thinking, that we don't just go and put a, a point-in-time project to put a system in. Um, the other related to that is stop thinking go live and start thinking about go begin. So the date at which, you know, we used to think about the system going live as being when the champagne's drunk and, you know, it's it's important to celebrate those milestones because there's a lot of effort that goes into developing the solutions and getting them configured and tested and up and running. But once you go live, that's actually day one. And that is, um, uh, you know, we at LeapGen again try to use the language of go begin to say that is the point at which you're then going to start the journey of adoption um, and driving the use of the technology in the ways that you've espoused and continuing to iterate around it. The work starts then. <laughs> and that's a hard frame of mind to be into because we often business case, 90% you know, of the spend of the business case is in that um, system implementation piece. And it's probably going to deliver 10% of the, the worth of the entire solution. And that is why we see projects in our HR technology projects, and this this number has been vaguely the same for twenty odd years, um, maybe longer. Only so eighty percent of those projects don't deliver what they set out to. So they're fundamentally not successful, and it's primarily because we put everything into the technology itself, and we 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 don't. Um, Think about it more holistically, and, and we put a lot of stake in that point in time when we when we switch the system on. You know, we, it's it's almost an unreasonable expectation that we set of instant change. You know, <laughs> some really really good insights there, and I think taking that visionary strategic lens as you put over the top of the journey and looking at it from an employee experience and those aspects are really critical for them to understand the as you said the distinction between projects and a program mm. view. If we put all our money into the tech, it's just going to be another project and that project is going to be an expensive one. That's not going to deliver an ROI as we would have hoped 
yep. uh, for that. Uh, yeah, there's still that inclination for people to look for those silver bullets uh, and tech still uh, that to this day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just switching gears and sort of rounding out today's podcast, David, as, uh, how do, from your view as you sort of look at digital, sort of a broad narrative and people, uh, mm. how do, what are you seeing around how as leaders we need to prepare our people mm. through and beyond COVID? I know some of this overlaps with some of the tech and digital. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts there to, for, for leaders that are listening to our podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think we've got a, a big moment here, obviously, um, coming out of the pandemic. We know that um, there's no old, we're not going back to an old normal, right? That's That's been ruled out in spite of still, there's still a too high a proportion of business leaders that still are clinging on to this notion that people will just drift back to the offices like they were into, you know, working in the, in the style that they had done prior to the pandemic, it's it's not going to happen. We know that. And it's not going to happen because people, workers are making the choice for themselves, right? So we're just, yeah, people have decided how much working from home or working from anywhere um, works for them and to what extent, and therefore will make a personal choice as to whether they would like to work for an employer who allows them the flexibility of working in an office environment where it makes sense and, and at home and whatever proportion they decide. So I, I think um, your best talent and the differentiation around talent is going to be determined by how well you adapt and from a leadership perspective how how much you're able to create an environment where you're going to provide that flexibility and and uh, choice. So there's a there's a movement to try and mandate you know this return to the office you know we're, we're mandating that you must be in the office two days a week on a monday and a thursday because that's when the ceo wants to be in there he needs needs you to be in there on those days or however that's defined by policy or practice um i i think what that's going to do is is um is push people away and push good people away we need to allow them and um uh, Sundar Pinchai, I think he's, uh, I can't remember his parents, he's named the Google CEO. He's hes just come out again and it's been Apple, there's been Amazon. They've all come out and said we're delaying the return to the office, they proposed globally. Um, Google CEOs come out and, and I think he's used those words, flexibility and choice, in how he's managed that message. So he's effectively saying if you're employee at Google, we want to give you the flexibility and the choice to work how you can best drive the outcomes and, and be productive in the context of what we're asking you to do. Whether you want to be in office or not, we'll provide you the ability to do that. We're not going to mandate it. Um, so that's the kind of, um, you know, I think leaders have to be bold and have to be somewhat, um, they have to um, lead with empathy and they have to be trust trusting and trustworthy as well. So this this is something that's going to play out, I think, for competitive advantage moving forward. Um, you know, uh, so I would encourage HR teams on behalf of their leadership, uh, you know, organisations leadership, to really look at work design. I think we've got a great. That's what HR people are great at. You know, you learn the skills of HR. It's about you know understanding the work, designing jobs, you know, putting all the uh, infrastructure around those jobs, we've got to fundamentally rethink work now. And HR has a tremendous opportunity to 
drive and lead that. The leaders themselves have to um, lead by example. You know, you need to see the CEOs um, doing uh, doing a town hall with the, with the cat sitting on their lap. You know, even post pandemic, because it's inclusive and it says, you know, you know, you, you are f- um, free to choose how best to bring your best self to the table, and we want to support you to do that. And we know that's going to benefit the business, our stakeholders, and more broadly society. Like if we can shift, can you, can you imagine? And, and I, I love this is the intersection with you, with you, James, personally, and, and Apricot. You know, that whole corporate social impact and ESG. Like if we can ingrain that taking the commute out of you know, being a mandatory part of working for a company or working in a corporate environment, um, that that simple thing can give back so much time to individuals in their personal lives and in their balancing their lives. But the impact on the environment of taking all those cars off the road and stopping the business travel, you know, there's just so much upside coming out of this needs to be harnessed. If we are lazy and default back to old ways, it's a missed opportunity. I don't think I'm a very optimistic person. I think we've seen a cataclysmic shift here and I think it's for the better. Mm, certainly have and pay lots in that from the cat sort of walking across in that authentic <laughs> leadership, which is really, really key, what people are sort of asking for and there's a great opportunity, isn't there, to be that much more authentic, kids walking on the yeah. room and bringing stuff in and it's inappropriate. And there, they can there respect is that whole person, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah. 100%. We want to see the whole person of our leaders so that we give permission for others to bring their whole selves and, you know, that's a very empowering, it's a, it's a value creation mindset and model. It's a growth mindset, right? Mm. Hey, it's been great to have you on our podcast today, David, and certainly some fantastic insights to unpack further. And as you alluded to earlier, we could certainly have a series here where we could <laughs> unpack this in much more detail because it's just yeah. so much uh, meat in terms of what you've covered today and so much for us to ponder, so much for us to rethink around how we do tech, uh, how we look at from the employee side and how we build it with mm. the right strategy and the right vision up front. So lots for us to unpack moving forward. So I appreciate you having you on our podcast today. Absolute pleasure, James. That time just flew by. Great conversation. And uh, again, thanks, uh, thanks very much for having me. Thank you, David. And thank you to to our listeners also for joining us on Inside Healthy Teams. Uh, Apricot works to build the health of leaders, teams, organisations in the broader community. If you've enjoyed today's podcast and wish to check out our other episodes, please rate and subscribe, or you can head to our website or social media to search for Apricot Consulting. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting. We hope you found it helpful. And if you did, it would help us if you could rate and review this episode on your podcast platform and subscribe for more episodes. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us.